The Chicago Bears fell to 6-11 after blowing a lead to the Minnesota Vikings in the last game of the season. I bring on Bear Report and Windy City Gridiron's own Aaron Lemming to break down the ups and downs of the game with me and talk through what could be coming in the next couple weeks on this episode of Bear With Me. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. And I'm here with both the Bear Report and also Windy City Gridiron's Aaron Lemming, who you joined me early on in the season, Aaron. I, Aaron, I felt like it was fitting to bring you on to close it <laughs> as the Bears go from up 14-0, seemingly dancing on the line or er, on the Vikings, to 21 unanswered points and an emphatic. I mean, emphatic end to the Matt Nagy era, which it is the end of the Matt Nagy era, right? Yeah, it, it has to be, man. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, kind of like we we're talking about right before we started recording it. it I mean, it's just, it, 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 could there have been a more fitting end? You know, I'm sitting there thinking, I was like, man, they're going to win this game. Draft position, draft positioning is going to be a little bit different. You know, people are going to start getting a little crazy, you know, feelings in their head, thinking they won three straight games, and maybe this team isn't as bad as we thought. It's like, okay, you know, now back down to reality. They go in, they're four, they were up fourteen and nothing at one point, almost in the halftime. They're up fourteen and nothing. And you look at the final score, thirty-one seventeen, and once again they got into Vikings territory six times. What did they do? They came away with seventeen points. It's just the same broken record, man. I mean, luckily, I think we're done living it. Thank God the season's over with. Honestly, Aaron, I thought it was hilarious because to your point, I mean, they're up 14-0, which is big in any NFL setting, but especially when you're Chicago. But the wild part <laughs> is that they had to bounce off of so many walls to get there, right? Like they they failed on a couple of fourth downs, which <laughs> more on that later. Am I right? But mm-hmm. they they got to the red zone. I think you said it five, maybe six times, got one touchdown that I still can't believe the Vikings left open. Like, don't get get me wrong every defense makes mistakes every defense blows coverages but Damian Williams leaking out that open felt like making it a little too easy for Andy Dalton if I was a Vikings fan I'm not though so I'll point out the massive amount of Matt Nagy fourth and one pass calls which eventually came to bite them in the butt really hard I think it was three fourth and ones three pass plays two sacks for a loss of 29 and a pick six at the end of the day I mean the Bears offense technically had given them the lead but to your point it's not like they were playing ultra efficient football to kick off the day and it ended up that they needed those points uh for the later part of the game and just didn't have them yeah, I mean, as a whole, they had four fourth down, fail four, four failed fourth, well, I guess five, but we won't count the other one because that was, you know, meaningless fourth you know, and check down at the end of the game. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they have they have four in the, you know, and when the game actually mattered, right? They have four of those. They were 0 for 4. All four of those were passes. Three of those ended in sacks for 35 yards, and there was a pick six. And, you know, but it just kind of goes back to show you that once again, it, it was just a situation in which the Bears don't learn. Matt Nagy doesn't learn. It's the same thing over and over. You got David Montgomery losing his mind on the sidelines because he's sitting there on the sidelines as a fourth down and one is happening as he's your best offensive weapon. It's just, again, man, I, I don't know that there's a more fitting way for this to end, for the Bears' season to end, for Matt Nagy's tenure to end with the Bears 
hopefully Ryan pays his tenure, but I, I guess we'll have to, you know, we'll, I, we'll figure that out at some point in time, but there's just no better way to end a season than how it happened today. I mean, talking about how it's the perfect way to end the Nagy era, totally spot on, especially considering that starting in 2018, sure, but I feel like this got really obvious in 2019 that Matt Nagy will be, that you've seen Princess Bride, right? Mm-hmm. He's yeah. absolutely the villain at the end going, well, so I'm thinking that I'll do this, but because you think that I'll do this, I would think to do this, but then you'll think that you're, that I'm <laughs> going to realize that. So I'm actually, I mean, Matt Nagy at one point, I think it was one of the early fourth and ones ran a fake mesh play that the Vikings, I don't think thought too hard about what the bears were going to do on fourth and one because they weren't fooled when Cole Komet and I don't remember who the other crosser was, didn't cross and instead snagged back outwards and Dalton just sat there looking at the rest or looking at nobody open and said, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, it's the same exact thing that happened two weeks ago or three weeks ago when they played him. It was a it, it was literally the same exact story. Get in the Vikings territory. They ratchet up their defense. The bears can't score points. It's just the same thing over and over. And it was the same thing too, because it looked like the Vikings knew what they were going to do every single time. Uh, the last time around too. I just, I, man, I don't even, I don't even know. Let me just say this, right? Um, I think, you know, everything I've heard about Matt Nagy, uh, I, I think Matt Nagy's a really good dude. Um, I I definitely wish success for him down the road. Um, you know, obviously things started off pretty well and have not gone very well. Um, I have nothing personally against Matt Nagy at all. But I think and I hope for his sake that he learns a lot about his four years in Chicago and how you're supposed to build each year, right? He talked about that in the very beginning. You're supposed to build each year. And what it came down to was him basically scrambling to figure out what the problem was year after year, game after game after game. And I hope he can he can learn something and tr- try to figure out. I mean, really, one, he's not an offensive play caller. And really, he probably shouldn't even be, in my opinion, I don't think it should be his offense that's being run. Uh, but I just I hope that he's able to learn. He's still a young dude. I mean, I hope he's able to learn from all this. I hope he eventually gets another shot. Uh, with all that being said, though, I am beyond relieved that this is the end of the Matt Nagy era, um, and and hopefully better things come down the line because I don't know that I can watch incompetent offensive football uh, in Chicago for too much longer, man. It's just it's so painful year and year, Same. year and year, never ends. Well, and one thing that I've seen the chat bring up during while we've had this podcast, Aaron, that comes to mind, and uh, God forbid, I I don't want to step uh, step out of line and say something stupid, but. For the sake of beginning discussion, Aaron, it is wild when you look at head coaching around the NFL, how often a head coach is hired from one side of the ball, say an offensive head coach, right? And then the offense immediately goes in the tank, right? Vic Fangio, a defensive head coach, obviously, his defense is largely the problem. Mike Vrabel in Tennessee hasn't been able to get the defense really fixed until, say, this year, and Nagy's offense never got off the ground. It it does make me wonder when it comes to the next head coaching hire, and I'm really just postulating, I'm not even thinking about anybody in particular, Aaron, how much it comes down to... How much maybe we overrate a head coach's background, right? That John Fox, to use him as an example, yeah, he was terrible in in his, in Chicago, especially once he brought danger zone logins on in to do <laughs> offensive coordination. But Fox seemed to be a clear delegator and kept his team out of nasty penalties, false starts, and the procedural penalties that we've seen just ripple throughout the Nagy era. And it does make me curious as far as, 
when the next like head coach is eventually hired, whether background should be as important as sometimes I think we like to make it, picking out whether it's Kellen Moore, Josh McDaniels, Bruce Air or not Bruce Arians, whoa, Byron Leftwich, Brian Dabble. We act as if that offensive head coach is going to bring their offense over, but it does seem like there's a lot of situations here where it's not the background of the coach that ends up being the shining piece of the team. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And I mean, to add to your point, Dan Quinn was the same way in Atlanta. We watched what was it the first year or two, their defense was pretty solid, but then it ended up turning into their defense was absolutely awful. And their offense was the one doing things. And a lot of that I think had to do with the fact that he, he inherited Matt Ryan and, and all those pieces on the offense. Yeah. I, I think, I think what's going to get lost in this head coaching search is they need the best overall head coach, right? And I know that some people have got the preferences, whether they want to go, uh, you know, whether they want to go offensive, whether they want to go defensive. Uh, you have other people who want to go first time, you know, second time, uh, or even, you know, a college guy. And I think really what it's going to come you down to You can say the college that, guy's name out loud, Aaron. Everybody knows who you're thinking well, of. Well, but I don't, even, I don't even think it's just Harbaugh, though, because Harbaugh's at least proven that he can do it. My bigger issue is with a guy like Ryan Day, where if you look at the overall, within the last 30, 35, 40 years, if you look at the overall success rate of college football coaches that are never coached in the NFL and they come in, the success rate is very, very, very small. And I, I think that's something that a lot of people are forgetting. I mean, we're seeing the same thing with Matt Rule. Obviously, you know, it's a little bit different with a guy like Cliff Kingsbury, but this is the first time that he's had any sort of success uh, as well. So, you know, really what it comes down to in, in the research that I've done, and Jack from Windy City Great Iron has actually done a great job uh, with one of his articles and kind of helping out some of my research is – it seems like the first-time guys definitely have more success. Uh, I think the one thing that really almost guarantees you no success and no Super Bowl would be hiring a coach that has already won a Super Bowl. There's never been a coach in the history of the league that has won a Super Bowl. At least, it, it, well, I should take that back. I don't think that there is a coach in the history of the league that has won a Super Bowl with one team and been able to do it with somebody else. I could be wrong on that, and if I am, it's like it's very, 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 very small. But the success rate, because that's obviously how you're going to weigh everything, right, is you're going to look right. at it and say, okay, you know, can this guy get to the Super Bowl? And if this guy can get to the Super Bowl, can they win it? And if you look at that, just that alone, um, the first-time candidates are, are the better of the three when you're looking at, you know, first-time guy versus, you know, second-time retread for a guy that hasn't won the Super Bowl versus, you know, the college guys. Uh, so – that's at least worth keeping in mind. My next thing, and I'm hoping to get to this over the next few days, is kind of figuring out offensive and defensive backgrounds. Because I think if you look at a lot of the guys in the NFL right now that are having a lot of sustained success, a lot of them actually have a defensive background. And even some of them have special teams background. Obviously, John Harbaugh is one of those guys. So, yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that fans and the Bears as a whole would be smart to – kind of weigh each option i know always the the argument is going to be well if you hire a defensive guy then how can you guarantee that you're going to be able to keep an offensive mind there and blah 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 blah, blah. we see it all the time man a lot of these i mean look at bill belichick you know obviously he's more of an outlier than anybody but look at a lot of these defensive coaches that have had success they have found ways to get the right offensive minds in the building and also have offensive minds on their coaching staff that could step in and be that next guy right i mean to your exact point 
it's it's interesting when you look through a lot of these defensive options that you remember that the offensive guys they hire, they don't even have to be defensive, right? You could look at Jim Harbaugh's coordinator path when it comes to offensive guys. I mean, it's hard to refute that just about anybody that John Har- or Jim Harbaugh hires as his offensive coordinator ends up being a pretty good coordinator, whether it's like Greg Roman, Pep Hamilton, or the other guys that he's coached. He's got a clear eye for what he wants to hear in an offensive interview, if nothing else, right? It's not that he, quote-unquote, is an offensive mind, but you still, like, if you're, I don't know, a defensive coach, I mean, you obviously have a thing or two, know a thing or two about offense because you have to stop it, right? Mm -hmm. So you may not be a, quote-unquote, offense guy, but you've got your own opinions, and when Vic Fangio, say, hires an offensive mind that maybe, and granted, I'm plucking somebody out with Fangio, I don't actually know enough about the Broncos staff to pretend to have an idea about what Fangio thinks of offense, but everybody puts on these defensive guys that they must be smash mouth, run the ball, protect the defense mindsets, and I just don't think that that's always true, especially nowadays in the college ranks, where a lot of the defensive head coaches are the ones going for it on fourth down, playing aggressive, and trying to get into pass and PA mindsets, you know? Well, I mean, look at Brandon Staley. I think he's a prime example of somebody that was just recently hired that was a quote-unquote defensive guy, but also has a little bit of an offensive background as a player. So, yeah, I think, again, I think a lot of it just comes down to, and I'm kind of getting out of that mindset of, you need to have a, a coach that can call plays, whether that's defensive coordinator, right. offensive coordinator, whatever it is. I'm actually kind of going away from that saying, get a field general, get a guy that can, you know, kind of like John Fox said, I coordinate all three positions, offensive, defensive, special teams. But you let those guys make the play calls and you focus on being a head coach. And I think that's one of the things for Matt Nagy where he's going to have to get a lot better at, right? Where I think a lot of the end game stuff and just basically allowing himself to be the head coach and not the offensive guru, because frankly, he's not an offensive guru, but you know, I don't know. It's going to be, again, there's no real, it's kind of like the quarterback thing, right? There's, there's no real, um, you know, magic thing that you can do um, in order to find that right guy. But I do think that there are absolutely parameters that have proven to be more successful than others uh, that need to be examined a little bit more um, within this hire and, Really, I think the only one to me that I'm like, man, I just can't get behind just because it feels like such a boring hire due to his, you know, his past job in Minnesota is Leslie Frazier. I just, I can't, man, I can't do it. There's so many good defensive coordinators out there. Uh, Matt Eberflus, um, you know, Todd Bowles, man. There's just a ton of them. Like, right. why, why Leslie Frazier? Why? I don't, I don't. I'm hoping that's just a lazy time. I really hope that's all it is. You, I hope you so. Played for the '85 Bears because that's the only thing that makes sense. I mean, like you're saying, if to me the problem with Frazier, to pick on Frazier before we get back to the <clears throat> post-game piece, because we're off <laughs> on the tangent everyone wants to talk about, so there's nothing yeah. wrong with that, but the problem to me with the Frazier idea is that I feel like it's just logically unsound, right? It's not the part where he would be connected to the Bears. It's that if you want the former Bear, go get Jim Harbaugh. If you want mm-hmm. the defensive mind, I think there are better defensive minds. I mean, whether it's Todd Bowles, whether it is his name escapes me but it's the bills defensive coordinator mayo i think is his name oh you're talking yeah the the, uh, jared mayo jared mayo's getting a ton of play recently and so i i think that there are at least other guys that you would interview and granted 
We're not going to be in the interview room. So Leslie Frazier getting an interview, it's not like that breaks my heart. But it does feel like a lazy connection. And if we just yeah. heard them announce at 10 p.m. on Monday, Leslie Frazier's the new head coach of the Chicago Bears, it would feel that way. But I, I tend to doubt that's going to happen. You know? No, well, I mean, they got they got to they got to figure out what they're doing, regardless if they fire pace or not. They got to figure out the front office first, and I think that's where. You know, I guess this will be the last thing on this. I think that's where some fans got to not put the cart before the horse. I know a lot of people are like, oh, get Vic Fangio back in the building. The Bears have got to figure out, uh, you know, what exactly is going on within the front office. I was just sorry. I was just looking at something. It looked like Brad Biggs just tweeted out something about it looked like, yeah, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace were walking out together. I don't know what that exactly exactly what that means. But the bears have a lot of work to do in front of them, even if they keep Ryan pace, right? Because they got to figure out how they're going to structure the front office, what they're going to do with pace. And then, you know, they got to, they got to find a head coach before we can even talk about coordinator hires. Uh, and then as far as Leslie Frazier go, last thing I'll say on that, even if it's, even if you want to bring in a minority hire, which is absolutely nothing wrong. With that. That was a, there's a lot of great minority candidates out there right now, whether you want to go offensive or defensive, he's still, to me, he's not the best candidate. I just don't see it because you could go, you could go, I mean, really look at Tampa Bay. You could go Todd Bowles or Byron Leftwich from that. There is a ton of good uh, coordinators and ideas and whatever else, you know, Bears connections, minority connections, defensive connections, offensive connections, whatever connection you want to make. It feels like, at least on paper, there's a lot better of options, even if you want to go with a retread. If you want to go with a retread, there's plenty of those options as well. I just don't understand the Leslie Frazier love. I'm sure he's a great dude. That's just somebody I really – I don't want to go down that road. I really hope the Bears don't either. <laughs> I'm of the same mind. And it, it's so awkward, too, because you, uh, you talk about Ryan Pace, and I feel like the Ryan Pace conversation, for instance, is really – complex one it was a lot less complex in 2020 if i could be really candid but in 2021 i feel like pace knocked the draft out of the park granted he had to use a little bit of future capital to get it done but nobody's taking back the justin fields trade i don't think anybody's really taking back the tevin jenkins trade regardless of what people say about how much that third round pick would have helped but you get the idea i mean with larry borum looking like at least a swing offensive tackle rough game today but potentially a future <laughs> starter uh you've got thomas graham who every time we see him seems to be around the ball and sticky in coverage that's really solid khalil herbert could be the heir apparent to david montgomery depending on what decisions get made blah 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 you get the idea angelo blackson free agent signings like Akeem Hicks, the Mac trade, there are enough goods on Pace's resume for anybody to be a fan. I mean, when you're a GM for seven years, the team is built by Ryan Pace. And if anybody out there is a Bears fan, you probably have a favorite player. And Ryan Pace probably had to do with getting him on the team, right? The yeah. trouble that I... think I Pat O'Donnell's the only one that wasn't brought in by Ryan Pace. I think you might be right. Yeah, Pat O'Donnell, <laughs> the, the punter. The punter is the only one that hasn't been brought in by Ryan Pace. Yeah, it, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. The trouble is, Aaron, is that I don't see a world where Ryan Pace gets extended and also gets so much leash that he can reevaluate the roster, say, we're not quite there yet, and tool towards 2023 even if that means getting even worse in 2022 with an eye on winning a Super Bowl. I can't help but worry that if pace is still on the team or if pace is still running the team in a month that that leads us back towards nine and eight at best you know what i mean yeah i do i so 
my thought process with that is I think it depends on how you get to nine and eight, right? Because obviously the Bears got a lot of work to do, but I think you can I think you can also look at how the NFC playoff pictures panned out and say that, you know, are the Bears really that like with the good offseason, the Bears really that much worse than the 49ers? Are they really that much worse than the Eagles? Right. Are they really that much worse than some of these other these other, you know, wild card teams? And who knows? I mean, obviously if Aaron Rodgers leaves are they really that much worse than the Packers without Aaron Rodgers? I don't know. So, but I think the big key is how do you get there? And that's something that it's, it, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, six and 11 is a lot easier to swallow when you're playing all the young guys. And when you're building towards a younger, op, you know, a younger core as a whole, it's not as easy to, to, to be able to swallow when you have the second oldest roster in the league and your head coach refused to play younger players all year long. And I, I think that that's kind of where, yes, Matt Nagy shares a lot of blame in this, but at the same time, how are the Bears as mediocre as they are with the writing has been on the wall for what it has been over the last few years? How are you the second oldest roster in the league moving into 2021? Those are the kind of things that I look at where you can say, yeah, you can point out a lot of good stuff the Ryan Pace said. And I don't think that anybody being objective can say otherwise, but I think that the pure panic that he has seen since you know, 2018 being as good as it was. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, the first three years you got to throw out a three. Okay, that's fine. But he had one year of a contention window and things have steadily gone downhill since. And I think that that's where you have to look at it and really say, is this guy, the guy is, is he the one that we want leading this team moving forward that can make quality decisions within the draft? Like he pointed out, okay, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with trading up for Justin Fields. Uh, you know, having conviction and all that fun stuff is great. But the problem is when you turn around and you already have a light draft class and then you turn around and trade up again for Tevin Jenkins in the second round and then you don't pick again until the fifth round, this isn't a one-off. And I think that's kind of the thing that a lot of people have to understand. This isn't a one-off because if you go back to the 2019 draft, they have David Montgomery, who's a running back, and Duke Shelley, who is a replacement-level nickelback, those are the only two guys that are on the roster that were from the 2019 draft class. That is the issue that you have when you start trading up. Look back at 2018. You know, James Daniels is about to be a free agent. He's been a pretty good player. I think you'd probably want a little bit more out of an interior lineman in the second, you know, in the second round. Anthony Miller is not even on the team. He was a second round pick. They gave up a second round pick in 2019 to be able to get him in 2018. So I think it's more, at least for me, the core issues and how he goes about things and how he has so much quote unquote conviction about missing is not the issue. The issue is when you throw so many resources and you're so damn wrong that it, it finally comes back to bite the team. And I think we've seen an accumulation of those decisions over the last few years where it's like, I just don't know from a core fundamental standpoint, if you can continue to move forward with Brian Pace, knowing that this is just who he is. Oh, sure. And I mean, it doesn't help anything, Aaron, that when you've got quality scheme and a quality quarterback, in this case, unfortunately, I have to reference the green and gold enemy in Wisconsin, yeah. right? Well, they're you, a really well-run organization. You'll I turn mean. Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard into solid twos and threes with Cobb <laughs> as an extra four that helps out. And if you shifted all those guys to Chicago, truly, I don't know how much better MVS looks than... Marquise Goodwin, 
to use an example, right? Yeah, I, I, I would say Alan Lazard is probably looking like Javon Wims in Chicago if he probably, played Chicago. Right? Like there's yeah. there is something to the idea that scheme a number one wide receiver maybe like Devon Devonte Adams demands so much attention on the field that I think he sticks out. But the, there is something like you're saying to the suggestion that whether it's coaching scheme, a quarterback level up, probably both in tandem, one doesn't tend to happen without the other, that the rest of the roster will just look better when things are going well. I mean, Debo Samuel is incredible. He is. But because he's in Shanahan's scheme, we're seeing just how versatile he is instead of saying, hey, Debo's pretty good. I mean, there's a huge difference between the way the best can use, say, Cooper Cup, who's, quote-unquote, a slot receiver and is one of the most dominant players in football, versus the way that the Bears leverage somebody like Mooney, where mm-hmm. Mooney got 1,000 yards. He did great today. He's honestly had a, had as good of a number or a season in 2021 as I think anybody realistically could have asked of him. Like, of course, we hope he might be even better in the future as scheme and quarterback again hopefully come online but given just how poor the bears passing offense were for him to get a thousand yards 17 game season or not i feel like that's a real accomplishment i don't know it's it is interesting like you're saying aaron when you look around the roster that the problem i have is more with the fact that the bears have alec ogletree and danny trevathan as ilb two and three behind roquan smith or Tashawn gibson behind eddie jackson who got mossed today Oh man, yeah. That- Eddie Jackson had a rough game. <laughs> he had a rough game in general. I, he's actually been pretty damn good this year. Th- today was rough. That was a rough one. That was a rough one. For Bad. The majority of the secondary, though, man. There was dudes running wide open the second half. It's like, did they forget that the secondary? Well, I mean, they did have eight players on the field at one point, so maybe they just forgot to field the secondary on a few different plays. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you just never know at this point. But yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. I it, I don't know, man. I. I don't think – because that's the thing. Like, So I think the Bears are a bad football team right now, and I think they need a lot of work. But this isn't 2015. You know, this isn't 2014 transitioning into 2015 when when Phil Emery and, and, uh, and Mark Tressman are ushered out the door and you're looking at a roster that basically needs to be fully rebuilt. You've got cancers all over your locker. You have no long-term, you know, uh, you know it, no long-term solution at quarterback. You don't have anything. Like, this isn't – remotely close to the same situation but i think it's gonna you have to figure out how big of a step do you think you can take next year right we're towards building the future not just towards throwing these veteran stop gaps in there and hoping that you can win eight or nine games but how much better can you really get moving into next year and again i mean it's easy for us to look at it right now and say you know, the Bears aren't going to be that much better than a six-win team next year, right? It, it's easy to say that, but at the same time, how many people thought that the Cincinnati Bengals were going to be as good as they were and that they were going to win the NFC North? How many people thought that the Philadelphia Eagles were going to go from the disaster that they had last year? I don't know if you remember week week 17 or not. They essentially threw last year's game to get a better draft pick. They fired a Super Bowl-winning head coach. Everybody's like, what are they doing? And they're, they're a nine-win team. Yeah, they're a nine-win team, and they're in the playoffs. Things can change quickly, but it's the approach and how you do it that makes that, that means the most. And I think that's going to be the key for the Bears moving forward. They're not that far off from being a playoff team, a wild-card team. They're not that far off from having a pretty quality core. 
but there's a lot of big decisions and a lot of big pieces that have to be added over the next few years in order for that to become a reality. Oh, yeah. And to talk about the other elephant in the room, you mentioned records. What makes a team? I mean, the easiest thing, Aaron, that we can talk about that makes a team go from eight and eight last year to six and 11 yes, this year. Sure. Quarterback change. Sure. Like tumultuous differences across the roster. Sure. Bill Lazor becoming the play caller. You can blame whatever you want to. The schedule is a huge factor the bears played a really tough schedule this year and they they get a much easier schedule on paper so far next year where it's it's less of the true blue-blooded contenders that you say they have to play the rams green bay twice tampa bay and the ravens all in the same season well that's not good (laughs) you know what i mean where well look at the 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 schedule construction Home away, home away, home away, home away all season. Beat How down. does that even happen? Man? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I You would have to think on paper because they ended up, I think, strength of schedule. I'll have to look at the end of, end of tonight. Strength of schedule going into the day. They had the third toughest schedule, and obviously part of that's because they won six games and sure. they lost 11. A little bit of that, but at the same time, you can also look at some really bad teams that still had really easy strength of schedule. So, yeah, I mean, you would have to think – that the, the, the schedule is going to – there's just a lot of things working against them. But I think – I don't know how you had them. I had them at 7. I had them at 7 and, and 10 this season. So Nailed it. they're one game off. They're one game off from what I expected them to be. There's not a whole lot of surprise. They're a little uglier than I thought. But there's not a whole lot of surprise. When you run it back with something that's broken, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. I had them between a 6 and 10 win cloud, I called it, because mm-hmm. you never know how the toss-up games go. And, hey, if San Francisco – Pittsburgh and Baltimore go a different way maybe like the luck the team just lucks their way into 10 wins but yeah. it happened and so because yeah. you could say that about a lot of, of football teams but they lost emphatically enough times so that they were going to get end up here I know when it comes to record Aaron I I will never stop thinking about that same 2020 team where Nick Foles and a lifeless Bears football team just got destroyed by Tennessee that that awful awful game that same football team won eight games and went to playoffs somehow. So <laughs> teams like well, the Eagles. Speaking of schedule. Exactly. So teams like the Eagles who, hey, the Eagles have been feisty this year. I don't want to take too much away from what they've done in Philadelphia, but it is awfully nice when you play the Giants twice. And I mean, the Bears can relate uh, to beating a team in blue, but you get mm-hmm. the idea. Schedules make a difference. And, and so the Bears, I think with this loss, they locked it in. I'm pretty sure they had it either way, but they lock in that third place finish, which is big in terms of what division they play next year. And so it should be a little softer, but like we're saying, the the big change is obviously going to come with GM, head coach, and less so with Jason Peters getting out of the way, and now it's Tevin Jenkins' time. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously the, the schedule part, yeah, I think regardless – it was like a 99% chance that they were going to be playing the third place schedule, even if they won. Obviously, they locked it in. Really, the only thing that changed today, because I know Washington won, and they were they were at six wins with the Bears, and so now they moved to seven. So I think I can't remember who the other, there was one other team that was locked in at six wins with the Bears as well, and that's only for draft positioning. Outside of that, yeah, it really doesn't really make a whole lot of difference because I want to say it's the AFC South, the NFC South, and the NFC. West are the three third place teams that they would play next year. So obviously that's going to benefit them in some ways, but yeah, I, you know, 
it's it's just sometimes things get stacked against you. This was never the Bears' year, and I no. think that's kind of key to remember. This was never the Bears' year. Obviously, you'd like to see a lot of things go better than that they than they did, but I also just I don't know, man. Like, I I think that the Bears have an opportunity during the off season over these next few weeks, over these next few months, to completely change the direction. But a lot of it's going to depend on Justin Fields, man, because Justin Fields is a good quarterback next year. And we just saw the same thing with both with you know the the Chargers and the uh, you know the, uh, the the Bengals as well. If if you got a good quarterback, good young quarterback, a lot of things can change in a hurry. Perceptions can change in a hurry. Yep, absolutely. Now, because it's a post game podcast, Aaron, I am obligated to give out some kind of game ball. So at the end of <laughs> we'll we'll go to sponsorship break and once we come back let's hand some out and we'll call it a season. Sound good? Well, let's do it. Perfect. See you on the other side. And we are back with Bear With Me. I'm here with WCG Zone Aaron Lemming, and I want to convert Game Balls, Aaron, into something that kind of commemorates the end of the season. Let's call them thank you notes. They can be satirical. They can be serious. You can thank David Montgomery for making the season watchable. You can thank Travis Gibson for the way that he's developed. But I'll start out by thanking Andy Dalton in this specific game for reminding us that the Andy Dalton-led led offense was probably not going to jump out to some magical 5-3, and 7-3 and three start, and that even though Justin Fields obviously struggled within this Matt Nagy offense, that number 14 probably wasn't some heir apparent answer that was going to fix all the Bears' problems either, because between him and Matt Nagy, this era ended with a really wonderful moment of closure that, like we talked about in the earlier part of the season, I mean, there aren't any questions left to answer, right? What a magical year that we actually got answers to everything. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, I don't know. So, am I, am I supposed to give a game ball now? That... You got to, you give out some thank you notes. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Well, so I'm going to, so my first, I, well, I'll be serious with this one. Um, just because you know, I think a lot of people feel Go the same it. way. Keem Hicks, man. I, man, it really yes. bums me out that we didn't get to see him. It, it also irritates the hell out of me that uh, Matt Nagy didn't make him a captain in last week's game that he actually played in. And then all of a sudden here we are and he's not playing again. Uh, yeah. Either way, man, that, that was probably, I, I, I would say, and maybe I'm wrong here. I think that might've been Ryan Pace's best free, free agent signing. But he came in on a two year, it was like a two year, $10 million deal. And he was fantastic. And he, it wasn't, he wasn't a given either. He was like a, he was a signing that happened. I want to say, and I could be wrong, but I want to say it was like a week or two into free agency. Uh, but either way, man, Akeem Hicks has been exactly everything and more that you could possibly ask for from any Bears player uh, to put on the uniform. The guy was, I mean, obviously he's been, he missed 20 games over the last three years due to injury, but I mean, when anytime he was out there, the dude was just an absolute animal. He was a fan favorite. He was a fantastically underrated defensive lineman for the majority of his time in Chicago. Unfortunately, I think it's coming to an end, and I think he's going to end up going to a contender where he can make some good money and also play for a good team next year. Uh, but if this is the end, uh, a big thank you, seriously, to Akeem Hicks because you have been an amazing player for the Bears. You've been somebody that has made it a joy to watch the Bears' defense and a joy to watch the Bears overall. So thank you. 
He absolutely did, and I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, the fact that, look, the rotating captains thing has gotten so much play that I don't think we necessarily need to talk about it anymore. I mean, Bruce Irvin, Jermaine Afedi got to be captains, but Akeem Hicks, not today. But yeah, yeah, but like you're saying, I mean, Hicks has been a phenomenal Chicago Bear. I think it's rare. Our own Jack Silverstein talked about this, where he talked about how once you get over about 30, 35, which I am not, but Jack is, uh, your favorite players <laughs> tend to be cemented, right? And yeah. then Akeem Hicks was the guy that broke the mold for Bears fans of all ages. And so to see him go, I mean, it's truly one of those moments where I think biz- the football business is a bit on the cruel side sometimes because it makes too much sense. Like, my heart wants to keep him in Chicago forever, but my head knows that the money and his position, it's just not going to really work out, especially given how many games he's missed to injury. Even so, it's just so sad to see him go. I'll give out another thank you note to Darnell Mooney because no other Bears receiver cracked 600 yards but Mooney. He was really the only star, shining star on a Bears receiving core that really struggled to get open consistently. I mean, hey, Credit to Cole Komet, he's the only other receiver that broke 400 yards, finishing the year with over 564. My ESPN app hasn't updated to collect this game's stats, but Komet and Mooney, but namely Mooney as far as receiving talent goes, seem to be the only people that in ISO situations you could expect to get open instead of saying, oh wow, look at that, they actually did, and ending up surprised by it, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, I'm going to... This one's going to be sarcastic. Big thank you to Matt Nagy for making the development of Justin Fields in his rookie year and actually having a stud rookie year or rookie quarterback the most miserable experience on the face of the planet. I, <laughs> man, I honestly, I just, I can't even begin to describe how frustrating this entire year has been. And obviously, not all of it's on Matt Nagy, but the fact that Justin Fields. You know, through the injuries, through the fact that he didn't get any starting reps during training camp or the preseason, and to follow this stupid plan, and then all of a sudden abandon it a game and a half into the season for Justin Fields, and I just thank you for completely ruining because I feel like even with with Trubisky, there was never any worry that he was ever going to lose his job or that there was any really sabotaging going on. And I'm not saying that that's it that. Maggie sabotaged anything but what I will say is that it was a night and day difference between watching the offense when you watch Nick Foles run it and when you watch uh, Andy Dalton run it and the the play calls that were coming in versus what we saw with uh with Justin Fields so you know good riddance at this point man I I, I cannot wait to see because I really do think Justin Fields is going to take a huge step next year I cannot wait to see what he's going to look like next year. Um, but, you know, yeah, Matt Nagy, you, you've you made this a fun experience, or what should have been a fun experience, just a completely miserable experience for most Bears fans everywhere. I'll also throw in to, for the Matt Nagy thank you note, I want to make a little signature on the bottom, <laughs> right, where thank you to Matt Nagy for ruining many fans' perception on fourth down aggression because Matt Nagy, especially over the last two years, got as aggressive on fourth downs, not quite as aggressive as, quote-unquote, the nerds want, but I feel like he started getting a nice pulse on when to go for it, when to press the issue, and his fourth down play calling has been, honestly, I would argue it might be worse than his goal line play calling, and his goal line play calling obviously leaves a lot to be desired, but Aaron, how many situations have we seen a huge fourth down come up for the Bears, right? Not like, oh, this is kind of a big play, they're going for it on fourth down, 
down, but like one that the whole stadium can tell that they really need it. And oh my word, the play call is nobody open. Nick Foles slash Andy Dalton slash Justin Fields slash Mr. Trubisky running for their lives mm-hmm. and ending up with a fail, like a fail. It's I, I don't blame any of the fans that are like, just punt it there. Take the three <laughs> points. Because the way that they tend to call plays on fourth down, <laughs> it doesn't feel like a good gamble. Even though on fourth and one, for crying out loud, you just give it to your running back. You got to get it at least one out of three times, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that was, yeah, dude, that, man, that was, he made, Matt Nagy made Andy Dalton look like, a rookie quarterback today out there running for his life on those, those, those three sacks that he took on fourth down today, just, just purely based on the play calling, the fact that there was absolutely nothing there. Yeah. That man, that was it's a broken record, broken record of just the same failures over and over and over and over and over throughout, you know, multiple seasons. Thank God we don't have to watch that anymore. He came, he went out as we came into 2020 or 2019, I believe a 50 plus passing attempt game, in a losing effort that yeah. ended up embarrassed. So fantastic job. Well, at least we should have something to talk about on Monday. Cause you gotta imagine that the head coaching star or like the new head coach search starts soon. But do you have any final thoughts on this game or the end of the season? You know, not, not really, man. I, I feel like kind of like we talked about, right? I, I don't, I don't think, and maybe people get this by my tweets and think I, you know, think the exact opposite. But I don't think the Bears are in that bad of a spot. I, I think this is absolutely 100% a very critical offseason ahead. Uh, the Bears have a lot of tough decisions to make. Hopefully, they'll make the right decisions. But I don't think the Bears are nearly as far off as they were coming out of 2014, moving into 2015. They don't need a full rebuild. They should have their quarterback. They have some, you know, some core pieces there. Obviously, this this roster needs a lot of work. They need a lot of work, uh, you know, on, you know, on the inside of the organization. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just I feel like the, the deck was stacked against them moving into the year. There's not a whole lot of surprises. Um, obviously, like to see things go better in terms of their overall rookie class, uh, in terms of playing time. Tevin Jenkins not having back surgery, Justin Fields not getting hurt, maybe getting some you know first team reps in training camp and preseason and starting the season as a quarterback number one and actually you know not getting hurt. But all in all, I don't think there's any long term damage done here. I think there's there's stuff to be excited about. And like we pointed out, man, I, I there teams turn it around every year there's always those few surprise teams every year so i'm not saying the bears would be one of those teams we've got to see how the, the offseason plays out but i don't think that things are nearly as dire as maybe what some people are thinking they are so that would be my overall thoughts on the season the game i have zero thoughts just because the game was meaningless i thank god it's over i enjoyed the game for what it was and that's the fact that it was the last game that we'll get to see for a while from the bears in terms of regular season but I am I'm ready for Monday. I'm ready for Monday. I'm ready to see what all happens over the next few days, a few weeks, you know, a few months, all that. It's it's gonna be a very busy offseason and it should be exciting. Yep. I mean, to your point, to to finish up with my own final thoughts, there's a reason that I think many of us started the season this year. Basically, I mean, going so far as to say on podcasts, like if we could just sim the season, get to twenty twenty two, we would. Yep. Because it was it was always going to be a bit of a beatdown. Murderer's Row happened. The Bears fell to four and ten, which I don't know if anybody had them all the way down there at four and ten. But then again, I mean maybe right. And uh, and Justin Fields got ridiculous expectations put on him. I mean, don't get me wrong. 
I also thought that the Bears' rookie tight or touchdown record wasn't going to be that hard to break. It clearly proved too much for him. But then you look at a lot of the successful quarterbacks in the NFL today, and if we were to make just slam-cut uh, judgments on all rookies, Trevor Lawrence, bust. Justin Fields, he's a bust. Trey Lance, probably a bust. Mac Jones yeah. is the only truly good quarterback in this class, and there's just too much talent there. To me, to to lump Trevor Lawrence into the bust category is to be, honestly, just, it would just be to put the cart way before the horse. And so I think the same applies to Justin Fields, who at the very least, to my own eye test, showed to be much more accurate than a lot of statistics seem to suggest, just given the massive amount of miscommunications, especially early in the year, between Fields and his receivers. Yeah, those are going to get written down as terrible, terrible throws, because the two guys ended up on the or on different pages but to get all this fields tub thumping out of the way fields development was the only thing that matters he ended up with 10 to 11 games on the season so he got quote-unquote enough experience and now the real thing starts right now the bears get to pick a scheme that suits fields's needs and not the other way around necessarily and kind of reset which I think will do a lot of good for him because, to your point, this isn't the Emory to Pace handover where the Bears are handing nothing over. They're handing some pieces, maybe not as many as I think some people want to believe, but some pieces nevertheless. Jalen Johnson, Thomas Graham, even Eddie Jackson. There's three defensive backs, better than one, that I think like Emory handed over. You've got Roquan Smith. Angelo Blackson proved himself. I mean, I could keep going if you wanted me to, but I think most Bears fans have a decent like head on the different players that moving forward would probably be solid participants in a good Bears team. And so we'll see what happens. Crazier things have happened than a team in the Bears situation getting good soon, right? And at this point, it's just about finding the right coach to lead them forward, you know? Yeah, no. And and usually what happens on good teams is players develop better and faster. I mean, we saw that in 2018. I mean, you know, there were, there were guys like, uh, you know, Adrian Amos and Nick Kwiatkowski that came out of nowhere that were replacement level starters at best for them. And all of a sudden they came out and they played really well. So you just never know. Um, yeah. And it's the, the NFL is absolutely a year to year league. Um, the bears just have to get going in the right direction right now. They're in the wrong direction. You wipe the slate clean, hopefully on you know tomorrow, and then you go from there, and you just hope that you can get back on the right track. And as long as you're on the right track, as long as you're not sitting there in mediocrity, as long as you're going in the right direction, I think that uh, it'll be a lot easier to get through next season, even if they only win eight or nine games, you know, seven, eight, nine games. It'll be a lot easier to go through knowing that you you have a coaching staff that is actually interested in you know developing players uh that's actually interested in the overall progression of the team not just playing veterans for the sake of playing veterans so you can save your job or attempt to save your job 100 percent. well aaron that's it on the season anything coming up that we should be on the lookout for you i know you talked about some head coach research yeah no because i don't even think i'm gonna do a, I, I i don't even think i'm gonna be able to get around to doing any sort of uh you know really any sort of um you know, article or anything for, I think basically just watch my Twitter, I guess. I mean, that that's an emotional mess anyway. So <laughs> you could, aren't you, we you all? Know, it, yeah, exactly. I think really more than anything, man, you know, as you, as you know, as most people who follow me know, I'm not going to source anything. I'm not going to pretend to know something. I don't, um, I'm just going to give my overall raw thoughts on the situation, what I think they should do. And that's really about it, man. We're just going to, I think 
for the most part, I think we're all just going to have to enjoy the uh, the roller coaster of the offseason together and know that it's going to be a lot more busy than we're used to over the last few years. There's going to be a lot of lot of fun action going on, and just because a head coach gets named doesn't mean that we don't have assistance to look forward to. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of action going on. And it's going to be fun. And you know what? It's going to whatever happens. It's going to be way, way, way better. Last last January, Aaron to March or to May, like forget the fact that we landed Justin Fields because I remember what I felt like in February and it was like, oh gosh, if we don't get Russell Wilson, what are we going to do? Like Mm -hmm. what on earth are the Bears going to do at quarterback? Are we going to have to watch Andy Dalton for an entire season? Are we going to (laughs) draft, are we going to draft Kellen Mond and act like we're excited about it? Or is Davis Mills the guy? And the head coaching thing is much more fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It absolutely is. And so, yeah, either way, that's the show, everybody. Thanks so much. Be on the lookout for – I have to imagine that we're going to have a whole bunch of Barely a Podcasts coming. Just a thought where we'll be spinning up quick little things about whatever the Bears just did. But, of course, you're going to get Bear and Balance tomorrow. You'll get Bears banter later this week. Bears Over Beers will do something to ring in the new year. And the Staley's, our award presentation, will be coming up soon afterwards. We'll give everybody a little bit of time for the dust to settle. But either way, a lot coming up on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with us. 